The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Finally, we have our scripture this morning, and we have Jess Plyler coming to read. Today's scripture reading is from Mark 7, verses 1 through 5, and verses 14 through 23. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that is going into him that can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not from his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Jess. Well, um, it's good to see you again. My name is Stacy Croft. I'm the uh, pastor here at uh, Music Row and uh, would love to get to know you if I haven't met you yet. Um, I've also um, gotten a lot of emails, even while we were online only, and gotten to meet a lot of you and so glad to do that um, in, over Zoom or um, in person with, you know, mass socially distance and, you know, making sure that we're safe and those kind of things. But I'm, I just would love to get to know you and your story. Um, <clears throat> you know, we've lived in Nashville for a long time now. So when people were those kind of people, 16 plus years now. And, uh, and it's funny because now people ask us, uh, where are you from? We're like, well, we're, I guess we're from here, really. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And um, one of the things I've loved about living in Nashville is just the beauty uh, I, I grew up in Texas, flat, hot, not a whole lot, you know what I mean? <laughs> like big cities, uh, not a whole lot of like hills, wild. even driving here this morning, just the snow settled on the trees. Like that's not happening much in, in Texas where I'm from. And one of the things I've also enjoyed is the wildlife, like just like in your backyard, you know, like I, I've, it's, I know it's kind of funny. And some of you are like, yeah, it's here. Some of you've grown up around this. I have not. Waking up or driving out, you know, uh, and seeing a bunch of deer in my backyard. And I don't live like way out, y'all. I'm talking like just, you know, around. It's so, just, it still is so cool to me. You know, along with that, though, comes the uh, other type of wildlife, which I've recognized a lot more of, the skunks. Uh, we have tons of skunks around our uh, neighborhood and our area. Uh, moles and skunks. So I have a ton of molehills and a lot of skunks. And, uh, and 
you know, you can always tell, especially in the winter, uh, you smell that smell. And you just kind of open your door, I don't know if you've done this, and you just kind of, it just hits your nostrils, and you're like, oh man, they're, they're back, you know? <laughs> and uh, and I've, I, I remember, this was a, a few years ago in, in, our, in our house, uh, that kind of smell, that you often smell. I remember at one point, like, hearing a scratching under our house. Uh, oh, yeah, this guy says, I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to hang outside. I want to hang out under your house. So this skunk starts, I hear this, like, this thing is starting to burrow under our house. And I'm thinking, man, what do I do? Oh, it, it gets worse. It didn't decide just to go under our house. That wasn't the problem because there, you could kind of, the smell was a little localized. You know what I mean? Like you can kind of smell it outside. You kind of hear the scratching. You kind of smell, okay, there's something in this corner of the house. That's not a good thing. No, this guy, instead of getting under the house, decides, you know how I'm going to get in is through mm, your HVAC unit. So this skunk says, how can I get in? I'll go through the door that releases air into the entire home. <laughs> so a few years ago, our entire home, all windows lifted exactly what you would think. The entire home was full of skunk. It was skunky and you did not want to come near it. Thankfully, it was warm enough to where we could like have the windows open and not freeze or sweat like crazy. But man, and it took some time to get that out. I, golly, that was, that was an interesting uh, debacle. But you know, this passage brings up something that's somewhat scary. It brings up the fact that the issue as the Pharisees are wanting to hold it out about cleanliness, defilement, is not something localized. It's something that's all in throughout. And I will tell you, as much as, you know, I want to manage when I see uncleanliness in myself, I'm constantly reminded that there are many things that I can try and manage and think they're localized and maybe corner them and take care of the issue. But for the most part, it reminds me of how unclean my whole is. And that's what this passage is really getting at. <laughs> the Pharisees come to Jerusalem and, and they, you know, we think of them as like these people just are like kind of watching, you know. Uh, <clears throat> and, but they are, they are watching Jesus, but they're also watching the disciples. Because what they're doing is they're saying, and over and over, and even other passages we've talked about, the disciples seem to get in trouble and then they go, Jesus, you're not teaching them right, see? And isn't that like a really good picture, I think, of often of what we do with the church and why we're so scared to come in to a church and feel as though we can embrace the fact that we're actually unclean beings. And I have to put on this, you know, facade because we're afraid. Oh yeah, Jesus is clean, but we're afraid someone's gonna point at us and say, you're unclean. What are you being taught? Do you really follow Jesus? Because the Pharisees are doing that. You know, Mark wrote this gospel. He's the first one to write a narrative account that is in the scripture. It was written about 60 AD. And he wrote it while he was following Peter. And in some ways, this story, even this narrative account, parallels some events that happened in Peter's life later about the way that he even viewed not just food, but other people how he viewed how he interacted with the whole world. And he, he was even asked God, 
several times in Acts, in the accounts of the apostles. He said, God, are you sure I can eat that? And God over and over says, why are you calling unclean what I've made clean? This cleanliness, uncleanliness issue is all throughout the Bible. And it's honestly all throughout us. And I think in our present day, we'll see in a minute. But what I want to ask, and I think this really brings up, is two major things. One is, how are we unclean? And two, how are we made clean? Because if we're being honest and we read this passage, you read this list at the end, and maybe there are some things in there you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want us to settle for a moment and, and really pay attention to the fact that what is uncleanliness here and what it's really spelling out for us today does to us. How it deeply shows us how we don't measure up. How we feel out of place. How we view ourselves in the mirror and it's not just one thing that we try and change as we said in confession, but it's the things that we just can't and we just feel and live unclean. Let's be encouraged by what the Lord Jesus is trying to teach here. So we're going to look at those two things. How are we unclean and how are we made clean? You know, I read uh, some time ago a Stanford publication. Uh, it was very interesting. It was comparing food and dietary things to sexuality. And it was saying food and the way that we have handled food now in our culture is a new shaping of what the sexual revolution was a number of years ago, about 40, 50 years ago. And that the purity and dietary laws, it's really interesting. It says, if, if you compare the two revolutions, so to speak, you can see a shifting of the way our culture is trying to work out defilement, work out cleanliness, purity. I mean, think about the way we talk about food. What's clean, what's organic, what's not. I mean, there are a number of food shows on that even teach us over and over. The number of cookbooks that are out now that weren't out probably 10 years ago. The number of Whole30 diets. I'm sure many of you have <laughs> talked to some, some people on our staff are doing that again. I mean, how many times we do that, go back to it over and over? Because we constantly are searching for something to purify us. And the Stanford publication was genius because she really pitted the two next to each other of what, what we considered guilty and sinful and those kind of things, putting that language on sexuality. Now on to how we approach food. So much so that we even shame one another about it. We shame one another about even the way we eat or feel or process things or eat them or handle them. You know, the Pharisees see this. This is interesting. They, what they are doing here is they're, at, they're talking about a filth and purity question. They're, talking, they're watching the, the disciples, especially in verses one through five where it begins. And they came to Jerusalem and they saw some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. Now, if you notice, Mark spells out a little bit more. There's a really long parenthesis here. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, and he goes on and on. Why is Mark doing that? Because he's writing to primarily a Gentile audience that wouldn't think so much about washing and what's defiled and what's not culturally appropriate. You see, sexuality, food, you see where it's going from here. See, here was the thing. It was to display, well display moral holiness 
And to, and to really eat food with washing wasn't just, you need to wash your hands because you might get sick. It was you need to wash your hands to display how pure you are. In fact, there were so many purity laws, ceremonially impure laws, where they said anything dead, any certain animal or person you touch, any certain skin disease, any Gentile in the market, which think of this, the Gentiles were reading this, those who are not Jews, and if even a shadow of someone unclean passed over something that you would use, even a utensil, you were considered unclean. Uncleanliness was everywhere. And so they were trying to think about how to rid. So the Pharisees were like, this is how you get rid of it. You stick your hands out. And this is what they would do. They would stick their hands out like fists and they would wash it. They'd pour the water over it and scrub it off. They would even wash their couches, as it says, right? It says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, remember the utensils, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, and even dining couches. That means they even wiped down the places they sat to eat because of uncleanliness. The parallels are staggering, of course. But the, the consequences of being unclean were not just that. The consequences of being unclean weren't just, oh, you were shamed or ridiculed. You were cut off. You were kicked out of relationship with God and others. You were ceremonially unclean, socially unclean. Think of even the jokes that some of us say lep on lepers, you know that they talk about leper colonies. Those were real things in the scriptures. They cast people out who were unclean and were not allowed to socialize, not allowed to come to worship, not allowed to do anything. This is the depth and power of being unclean. And it reading this is frightening. Because you think about this, the reading exactly what you think would happen. All the eyes, this is, this is scary for me. It should be for you. All the, exactly what you think would happen. All the eyes on you to see where you are unclean. That's what the Pharisees are doing. They're looking and watching to see and point out and judge exactly where you're unclean. Isn't that how we live? Isn't that where it comes from? And being unclean or defiled in our context is, is all those things that we sit with. I was reading an article by a guy named Andy Crouch, great writer, author, thinker. I don't know if you read his stuff. He actually was such a, his, this article was so popular, it was picked up in New York Times and by other op-ed writers. But he talked about the different, the, the recurrence, the resurgence rather, of shame. Because really, that's where, if we get to the uncleanliness question, that's where it goes to is shame. And what he talked about in this article was how shame has resurged in the sense that we all, in order to get out of, out of shame or, or under it, it comes back through a celebrity-type culture. If we find ourselves in a good light with someone or others or, some, or shamed by them, in other words, when we don't live up to the right judgments or experiences that shame comes in and when he says what shame really is and guilt and defining it guilt is you're wrong for what you do shame is you're wrong for who you are 
And those are the moments when you meet your guilt and you meet your shame. When you feel the depth of what really is unclean. When you hit that, when you experience it, you, you meet your uncleanliness. Because those are the places where you recognize, I am just dirty. It's the things that we keep, the secrets we keep, the ways that we, we, we handle ourselves or, 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 or other things. It's the ways that we look at our, te- our, our computer screens. It's, it's the way that we handle our businesses and we hope no one knows any of those things. But when we touch on it, we recognize how unclean we are. We've experienced that we've met something that is so deeply needed to be washed and yet we can't do it. What I find interesting about this passage that Pharisees bring up to the disciples, if you just wash your hands, you'd be clean. And and that's what we want to do. We want to localize any of that uncleanliness we experience, any of the things we really see in ourselves that we want to manage. If I corner it over here, if I if I handle it, then I can I can really deal with the shame, the guilt. But really the shame is at the heart of it, it's at the core. Question is always, how do, how do we get ourselves out from underneath this? How do we wash ourselves? One part of us that we can manage. Maybe we can wash one part. Maybe we can keep ourselves in a specific way or, or light or, or good in front of other people or, or handle this. But one of the things I really recall when I was a campus minister at, uh, at uh, Vanderbilt University, and I, I remember having this conversation And it was such a perfectly put way of saying how we want to be clean. When I would talk to students and they would say, you know, I I totally, I feel like my life is out of order. I'm, you know, waking up on on Sunday mornings or Saturday mornings. I don't even know where I am because I had too much to drink. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll tell you what, at the end of the semester, my grades seem fine. And I'm going to be able to get the job I needed. Clean. See what we do. It's not just a university thing. That's how we all act. That's the perfect illustration of every one of our hearts is that I believe. And when I meet, when I meet the shame, and I'll just me, when I meet my shame or guilt, I'm so quick to run to the other places where I can say, look how clean I am here. Or how can I clean this up here? Or who can help me show how clean I am here? When I meet something that's so filthy that I would not want anyone to know, a secret. The things that pop in and out of our heads when we're daydreaming. That we think, gosh, if anybody knew this, I would be, what, an outcast. Cast out as a leper cast out as unclean and isn't that our deepest fear that's what real shame is it's it's are we wrong not just for what we've done but who we are Jesus says it goes from the heart he says in verse 14 where it comes from is from the heart it's not something outside and this is where we've tried I've found as I've really thought about cleanliness and even the Stanford publication we've really worked on the outside in we we think you know as much as the Pharisees are like wash and you know and then you're clean we know that's not true but 
It really is outside in. I, I had my hands uh, out the other day, and I was, I don't know if I was washing my hands or I was just with one of my sons. And Cole, my youngest, so beautifully, so prophetic, out of the mouth of babes. Hey, why are your hands so red? What, what's up with that? Well, I've been washing, I was trying to explain, I've been washing my hands, which are just washing and washing. And my hands will get to a place, and I, I don't use enough moisture, I, whatever. I mean, you could say all those things. But they get to a place where I'm washing and so cracked that my knuckles start bleeding. Some of you have probably experienced it, probably feel it now. And he was like, what, what, why is that? Why are your hands so red? What am I, what, what am I really thinking? If, if I really, if we're using this illustration we really still think that if we wash something on the outside, we're going to be okay in. I mentioned this earlier, and I've been kind of amazed at this, this way that we settle into the grooves of these kind of phrases. When, when we pass one another, and, we, and we're so good at this as, you know, good Southerners. Now you say, how are you doing? And, and you, could have, you could be in the worst place of your life and someone walks by you and says how you doing and you say I'm doing great I'm good things are good you know you smile you do the whole thing and it's not like we're going to unload on everybody that's not what I'm getting at either but I am saying we are very good at just settling it doesn't matter where we are in life I was just talking to a friend about this and just we just settle right back into that groove because we're so used to the outside not inside out. This is why Jesus has to go to the depths with them and say, hear me, all of you, in verse 14, and understand. He constantly is saying, don't you get it? There's nothing outside of a person that can go into him that defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And they were just, and, and then again, he has to say to the disciples, verse 18, then are you also without understanding? Don't you see whatever goes into a person can't defile him since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach. Jesus is saying the issue isn't localized and it's not outside. It begins here. And that is the craziest thing. It begins in all of us, in our hearts. When I was in college, there was a woman that, she was washing her clothes, and over time, she said, my clothes just smell, and they just feel grimy, and it came to the, we we came to the understanding that she was washing and washing, she just wasn't using soap, only fabric softener, and she said, well, they're soft, and it smells good. But no stain was going away. They began to have this different texture over time. It's because there's something more deeply embedded. There's something that has to get within us to clean us because of the depth of the uncleanliness that we really have. So how are we made clean? How is it? How do you actually cleanse a heart? Jesus almost leaves, doesn't it bug you when he does this? Jesus leaves a lot of these things that are like, only your heart, this is where it comes from, from your heart. And you're like, well, give me another verse. Is there another one after this that helps me? What do you do with an unclean heart? So if it goes to the sinner, 
I mean, this is a huge debate. One of the greatest philosophical debates is happening right now about where defilement comes from. Jesus is saying, it comes from here. Ancients believed that when you died, your heart was actually taken and put on a scale to be weighed and measured. Because what is your heart to be measured? What, what, what gets to the core of who you are? And they believe that certain, that you had to have some sort of a mediator. And all of us truly do, whether we believe it's us or someone else. Because we know we have defilement and we know there's sin and we know there's things within us that we really can't clean. We all know that, but how are we washed? Is it avoidance? Is it behavioral change? Is it something else? What really gets to the depth of the heart? This is what the priest was for. Now, this is what it talks about in terms of what comes out of a person. See, they're talking about all this defilement, but the person who had to clean us was the mediator who could really be pure for us. To really be pure. See, in the Old Testament, the priest's job was to distinguish between what was holy and not. And this is what drives us crazy. This is why, I think in a lot of ways, that, that fabric softener, this is how we treat religion. We believe that religiosity is gonna help. It makes me nicer. It makes me more well-adjusted. But then we leave here and we feel like, am I still, am I clean at all? What gets to the core? The, the priests would have this job and, and, and even distinguish not only holy and, and, and unclean, but certain creatures to distinguish, to help us understand what was. And pollution itself didn't even carry to the person, but it carried to the whole land. So the Old Testament priest's job was to be that person that would clean themselves and listen to what they had to do in order to do that. On what was called the purity for the day of atonement, the actual day where the priest would present himself to God in order that all the shame, all the uncleanliness could be made before God to be dealt with. This is what the priest had to go through. A week before, the priest would go into seclusion and was completely alone. So not to come into contact with anything unclean, person, food, anything. Clean food was brought to him and he would wash to prepare his heart. The night before the day of atonement, he wouldn't sleep at all, but prayed and read God's word all night to purify his soul. And then on the day, he would wash his from head to toe and clothe in pure linens. Went into the Holy of Holies, that is the center of the entire tabernacle or temple. And then he would offer a sacrifice and he would come out three times and bathe himself head to toe, clothed in fresh linens. And then after the th third time, go back in to do the actual atonement of sin. All publicly for everyone to see. Now, if you think about this, what does that have to do? That, that's what they had to watch. Why does Jesus leave this hanging here? In the Gospels, you don't ever see Jesus go into, he doesn't put on the robes, he doesn't clothe himself in that and go in. Where does Jesus come into this? Because the point of this is where does Jesus enter to do this? You never see him go into the temple, holiest of holies, to bring us. Where does he enter? He enters into our hearts. 
See, Jesus as priest does something completely unheard of. He being the purest of pure, he being the one who lives in this purity, instead of going into the temple for the day of atonement, to bring atonement, he comes into the place where the temple would reside. Why does God say that our body is a temple? Why does Paul say that? Because the temple is now us. Jesus has to come into the place where the defilement is most in order to encounter it and purify it. To wash you as pure as you read from that, this incredible description of the day of atonement. That atonement must happen only because where is the filth going? That's always the question. Where does the filth go? It has to go somewhere and it goes on another. See, Jesus doesn't eat, just become our priest to enter into the place of holiest of holies to make you. See, the heart wasn't just your feelings. It was your whole self. The Hebrew sense and understanding of what a heart was was your thinking, your will, your emotions, your decision-making, all of you. That Jesus has to go into that place to make it the holiest of holies by taking on every bit of the defilement for you. That's how you're made clean. That's the only way we're made clean. See, this, this, is, the, this is the question is, what is the thing that you think, as they did, is only a spot remover? That Jesus, Jesus is great, but he's only a stain remover for the next thing to come. What is the thing in you that you really believe that there is no way that Jesus could clean that? What is that in your head? Because this is how clean you are made. He doesn't work from the outside in. He goes straight to the inside to bring you out. To bring all of it out of you. There is never a moment in his work then and now that purity is removed from you in the eyes of his father because of what Jesus has actually done. He has lifted you up out. He has gone to the holiest of holies. And he has made you clean and pure. You ever wonder why Jesus says this? This is so interesting. He says here, or at Mark writes this rather, in verse 19, since it enters not in the heart but the stomach and is expelled, thus he declares all foods clean. In one sentence, Mark is summing up 4,000 years of dietary law. That they thought that if they had this, their food right, and many of you may have heard this, you're not eating pigs, not eat, you know, certain animals. That distinguished them in relationship to God. Do you know what, how God keeps us clean? He changes their distinction from doing the things. Instead of eating right, their relationship to food, they have a new relationship to God, not through food, but through a person. See, Jesus isn't so much abolishing everything. 
He's helping them understand what can transform you from the inside out and not just make you clean, but keep you clean. Isn't going back to the food over and over again. It's going back to the one in whom enters you again and again. See, that's why we come to this table. This table is that reminder. And I can tell you, I'm so thankful to be able to take communion. If I'm, if I'm being honest, it has been a very difficult week, several weeks, just thinking of the lack of not being able to take communion. And I long for those of you that haven't been able to come back to receive this again. This is called a means of grace. And coming to this table does not warrant you and say that you're clean. I want you to know that. When you taste the, the bread and the, and the juice, it doesn't, it doesn't clean you. It reminds you of the one in whom you're related to now. Your relationship isn't to the bread and the juice. Your relationship is to Jesus. That's how you're set apart. There's no food law that sets you apart. You're free. You're free from all the filth and uncleanliness. You're free to see all your filth and uncleanliness before the one who makes you pure in him. The one who gives his body and blood so that you would experience that you're not just made clean, you're kept clean in the eyes of your father. It's yours. It's rejoicing in that. That's what it means to come to this table. Please don't, please don't take of this this if you think it, this in and of itself makes you clean. Only take of it, and when you do take of it, to remind you that he, in Jesus, whose body, whose blood it is, that cleans you from the inside out so that you can live clean in him. Let's stand together.